You may sit. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm drinking water while you're standing there. <laughs> so tonight, our scripture passage is going to be from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. So if you want to turn there, um, we're going to read it together shortly. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Uh, this is a passage of scripture that you're very familiar with, I would bet. Um, in fact, Nick referenced this, or part of this passage on his Sunday sermon this last Sunday. Um, it's providential in that I chose this passage before last Sunday. And uh, so, um, it is, I would venture to say, one of the passages that wooed you to the doctrines of God's sovereignty and salvation otherwise known as the doctrines of grace. This, this passage probably was pivotal in doing that in your life. Um, this passage also contains a verse I wanted to discuss um, the last time um, I led the Wednesday night. But we ran out of time, so we get to revisit it again tonight. So um, I'm glad for that. I did mention it briefly at one of the men's breakfasts, um, so if you guys were at the men's breakfast, it's going to be familiar to you. Um, before we begin, though, I want to let you know what my aim for this, for discussing this passage of scripture is. Um, I would like to remind you that our salvation in Christ is completely dependent on the mercy, love, and grace of God, and the result of our salvation in Christ should be marked by great anticipation and hope for the future as well as good works in the present. So hope for the future, good works today in the present. So tonight, we're going to see three things in this passage. Number one, the loving, a loving God who raises the dead and saves by grace through faith. Number two, eternity is much to be desired. And number three, good works validate true life in Christ. So those three things we're going to see in this passage. So if you want to turn with me, if you haven't, to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 4, which says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's take a look at this passage verse by verse and return back to verse 4. So go back to verse 4, which begins with, but God. You could replace the but 
with even so, or however, or in spite of the fact, but whichever you choose, you must go back and see what God has done in spite of the fact. So let's navigate back to verse 1 of chapter 2, which says, and again, this is very familiar to you. As Nick pointed out on Sunday, we should never, ever grow tired of seeing God in Scripture. Never. And I would add to that, though you are familiar with this passage, it should never cease to blow you away in its magnificence. So, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So that's the state of our being prior to but God. That's how we were seen by God before he says, but. So in spite of the fact that you, we, were dead, men and women, because of the pervasive nature of the sin, or pervasive effect of the sin nature, we willingly walked in step with the father of lies, who has been a liar from the beginning and a murderer. We were, because of our love for what the sin nature produces, children destined to face the wrath and fury of God's judgment, just like everyone else. So, in spite of all of that, God, but God. I think, I think we need to soak on that for a second. Uh, dead men and women, loving our sin and willingly following the devil and his systems. Systems being the course of this world. That which John in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, and James in James 4, 4, admonish us not to do. That's what we were doing. Carrying out the sinful desires of our flesh. Destined to face wrath and fury of the Father and receive his just punishment. God himself steps in. And, but God, being rich or abounding, rich, abounding in mercy, Mercy, which is compassionate, kind, forbearance, shown to an offender. God being rich in mercy, because of the great love, that's the agape love that you know, selfless love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace. Grace freely given, undeserved favor. You have been saved. These two verses, in light of, once, of what we once were, should never, ever cease to blow us away. Our jaws literally should hit the table when we think about 
and come to grips with this. God made Abraham, who was dead, alive. Abraham became the father of all whom God would make alive. God is powerful enough, as we heard this past Sunday, to make the dead come to life. And it should not matter what or who you were before but God. Whether you had an upbringing devoid of any Christian influence at all, some of us in this room living in a state of utter debauchery, when but God, or you grew up in a Christian home and would not consider ever getting involved in any kind of debased or debauched lifestyle. All sin is abhorrent to God and produces death. Gossip, slander, promiscuity, lying, grumbling, ingratitude, cheating, theft, friendship with the world. All sin will bring the wrath and fury of God's just anger. Every conversion, death to life, is equally miraculous. The one converted out of an exceedingly debased life will likely, at least initially, be way more affected by their salvation, at least initially. On the other hand, God must chip away the inner Pharisee of the one who lived a good life prior to conversion. I was talking to uh, Aaron the other night uh, at the Pollock and Prayer, and it struck me what he said to me. He said, uh, I was living one way, a way he described as debauched. That's, that is actually the word he used. Um, two months ago. I was living a debauched life two months ago. And today, I'm completely changed and no longer want to live the life that I was living two months ago. He said, I don't know what happened, but here I am. And it, I, it just struck me. I was like, I know what happened. <laughs> and it is this. I think these verses give the answer. But God. So by grace we have been saved. Verse 6. And raises us, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So regarding this verse, raised us up and seated us, one commentator put it this way. Paul tells us that when God saved us in Christ, he actually raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Right now, uni united to Jesus by faith, we are spiritually seated with him at the Father's right hand. That's why we seek the things that are above, Colossians 3.1. Spiritually, it is our home. This new creation dimension of reality where Jesus is, this is where we're from, Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Spurgeon puts it like this. We have not only left the dead and become joined to Christ, but we are made to sit in heaven with Christ. A man is where his head is, is he not? And every believer is where his head is. And if we are members of Christ's body, we are in heaven. So, we have been joined with Christ. Christ in us, we in Christ. We therefore are spiritually where he is in heaven. And that brings us 
to verse 7. This is a verse that I was anxious to, sh to discuss with you guys um, that we didn't get to before. Uh, the most magnificent aspect of our salvation in Christ is that we shall be with him forever. That's the most significant thing about our salvation. He, not what he provides, is what we should de desire most of all. He, his person, is our most valued treasure because he is blessed forever. Verse 7 expresses one of the reasons he is blessed forever. So a quick review before we get there. In spite of our spiritual deadness in which we willingly transgressed and lived for our own flesh, God, because of his love, abundant mercy, kindness, and grace, made us alive and seated us with Christ in the heavenly place. Right? God accomplished all of that for this reason. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So God, out of the abundant mercy of his, abundance of his mercy and love, made us alive with Christ by his grace and seated us with Christ in heaven so that. I'm going to read to you an excerpt from Piper's book, Providence. This was one of the most impact, impactful parts of the book to me. Um, it's kind of long, but it says it much better then I can paraphrase it, so I'm going to read it to you. Um, the title of this section is The Question, God's Most Lavish Promise, and it goes like this. This has been the ultimate purpose from the beginning, and it is the ultimate purpose of the eternal ages in the future. Paul exults as he expresses this one of, this in one of the most lavish promises in Scripture. God seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is the glorious verbal piling on. It will take eternal ages for God to exhaust the demonstration of his riches to those who are in Christ. For, those, for these riches are immeasurable. They are also riches of grace. Unless we think of grace too vaguely, Paul says that this grace is in kindness. Unless we think too generically about the, precious, or the gracious kindness, he says it is toward us. Unless we think that these are the riches of the Father and not the Son... He concludes that these riches of kindness come to us from the Father in Christ Jesus. In him are all the treasures. This means that God in Christ will be seen as increasingly rich in glory for all eternity. And we will never, we will be ever more fully satisfied with increasing measures of fresh kindness. Every day... For all eternity, without pause or end, 
the riches of the glory of God's grace in Christ will become increasingly great and beautiful in our perception of them. We are finite. They are immeasurable, infinite. Therefore, we cannot ever take them in fully. Let that sink in. There will always be more. Gloriously more. Forever. Only an infinite being can fully take in infinite riches. But we can and we will spend eternity taking in more and more of these riches. There is a necessary correlation between eternal existence and infinite blessing. Let me read that again. There is a necessary correlation between eternal existence and infinite blessing. It takes one to experience the other. Eternal life is essential for the enjoyment of immeasurable riches of grace. End quote. So in summary, in the ages to come, not age, ages to come, plural, the Greek word meaning perpetuity, which means endless, forever, for all eternity, he might show the immeasurable riches. Immeasurable can't be measured. Infinite. Infinite riches of what? His grace. So, it's infinite grace. And also his kindness. So it's infinite kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we will spend eternity coming to grips with what Jesus did for us in overcoming the infinite nature of our sin. So if you've ever struggled with or have had questions about what heaven will be like, or if you have struggled with looking forward to heaven at all, keep this in mind. Understanding the ever-increasing greatness of the beauty of Christ in the infinite riches of his kindness in grace was most helpful to me. That's why it's impactful to me. It gave me a view of what was needed, namely immeasurable riches of grace to overcome the infinite nature of my sin, which helps me to treasure the magnitude of my salvation increasingly more. The more I consider and meditate on this, the more I treasure it. But more than that, I get to be in the presence forever of the one who is the source of the immeasurable, immeasurable, infinite riches of grace and kindness toward me. Forever and ever never ends. That's helpful to me. I hope that's helpful to you, too. That brings us to verse 8 and 9. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So Paul reiterates that it's unmerited favor from God through the gift of faith that saves us. 
He reiterates it. To say it twice in the span of four verses must mean that it's important for us to get. It's important because most false religions and the heresies that have entered the church refute this notion. They say it can't be a gift that is obtained by faith. It can't. You have to do something to receive it. That thinking, for us, awakens our inner Pharisee. We are innately drawn to that way of thinking. God won't accept us in the beloved unless we do something to deserve it. Paul knew that that would be an issue, so he puts it to death, and he reiterates it in this, in this passage. The point is, if we have to work for it, it's no longer a gift. It's wages earned. It's no longer a gift. If it's no longer a gift, it is not grace. It's deserved. If it's deserved, not only could we boast, we would. Because it is by grace, through the gift of faith, boasting and deserving are excluded. And to God be all the glory. So that brings us to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are his, God's, workmanship. Workmanship, what, what does that suggest? What does that mean? Workmanship means literally the product or result of the labor and skill of a workman. The workman being God himself. We are the product of his labor and skill. Because we are his workmanship, we are his products, and therefore reflect his qualities. God is a workman. He is a creator and sustainer. He holds it all together. He is at work in and through us every moment of every day. He's working continually. He created us in his image with his skill to be workmen as well. So he created us in Christ Jesus to work. Good works. He also prepared us for what we would do beforehand. So we have become spiritually alive workmen. We need to consider that good works as spiritually alive people are what we do and what we are known for. First uh, Corinthians, you can study that further. First Corinthians 12, 4 through 11 for more information on that. This church, or the church, namely this church, needs spiritually alive workmen and women. But that is another topic for another day. I'm going to stop. Um, I hope this has been encouraging for you, as it has been for me. Um, it is magnificent. Let's pray.
Father, I don't, I don't even know if there's words in our language that can do justice to what, who you are, what you have done, and taken us out of by your power, your mercy, your grace, your kindness, and your love. And you have transferred us, and you've made us joint heirs with your son, who is blessed forever, as we have seen. Uh, let us look forward to the time when we get to see him, our Lord Jesus, face to face. Let us relish in that. Let us be that, let us, that, that be the hope that is in, our, in the forefront of our thinking at all times, Father. It, it is such an immense blessing to be included. And so we're grateful for that, and we want to give you thanks for it. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Bless your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys please stand? In your hymnals, page number 308, Jesus paid it all. Thank you, Dan, for that encouragement about salvation cannot be independent of God's mercy and grace. You think about Jesus paid it all. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5, listen to the words as we prepare